Awesome. Well, I'm excited to preach a message to you today uh, that I have been praying over our church and our community for a while. And I want to simply start with the passage because the passage speaks for itself. We have, a, we, we have a saying around here, we value the Word of God because the Word, the word speaks, God speaks. And you need to hear the Word of God more than anything else. And so I want to start with the passage, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 4. And we're going to start reading in verse number 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have it on the screen uh, for you to follow along. Uh, I encourage you, though, bring your Bible, however you read it. If you read it off your phone, that's great. Uh, I love reading my Bible out of, like, an old hard copy because it can't send me text messages, right? It can't send me alerts. Uh, it can, but not the same way as your cell phone. You know what I'm saying? Luke chapter 4, starting verse number 16, it says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, and he came to Nazareth, where he was brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. See, Jesus was faithful to church. And he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The title of my message is The Year of the Lord's Favor. Have you ever had someone's favor on your life? Like, you know, you just, it just seems like God bless you with the right person. Stand up, Mimi. I was thinking about this, getting ready. Mimi's going to hate me for this. Come here. You got to come up front. If you don't know, this is Mimi Loki. All right. Mimi Loki. Her name's really Diana. She's really tall. And, you know, that's a, anyways, Mimi, I had a deficiency in my life that I didn't know about before I moved. There was a, I was oppressed. I was missing out and I didn't know it. You know what 76 year old grandmas are really good at doing? Cooking cookies, cooking food. I mean, egg rolls, cookies. I, I've never had anything she made. She makes amazing chili. I referenced that a minute ago. And I was missing out in my life. And God saw that I needed favor. And so he brought me to JFA. And here's me. And you know what 33-year-old pastors are good at? Eating cookies. Come on, somebody. Right? And so God blessed me with Mimi. And his favor shined down upon me. And Mimi is always making me something to eat. Her biscuits and gravy are legendary. All right, now here's the thing about Diana, though, when she's making biscuits and gravy, is she doesn't believe that they're going to come out good every time. The other day for Charity's birthday, she's making biscuits and gravy, and I kid you not, she pled the blood of Jesus over those things five times. I walked in there, she's like, oh, dear Jesus, Jesus, make these biscuits. And she's serious as a heart attack, praying over it. And I'm walking in there, I was like, Mimi, they don't need the baptism, you know, we're just going to eat them. I said, you keep praying over those things, they're going to start floating after a while. I mean... Absolutely pleading the blood of Jesus over these things. And it's unreal. And it's been a favor of God has shined upon my life in Mimi's cooking. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand is when you experience someone's favor, oftentimes it changes your life. Life is never the same after that. Here's the thing you have to understand about favor. You cannot buy favor. You can't earn someone's favor. 
And you definitely can't fake favor. When you're living under the favor of someone, especially the favor of God, when you experience that, all you can do is say, thank you, Jesus, because there's nothing you can do to bring that into your life. And that's exactly what this passage is telling us. We are reading that Jesus is declaring that the favor of God has now come upon mankind. To give you some backdrop to this passage, Jesus has literally just started his ministry, and this is his inaugural address, if you will. And the Bible tells us that he goes to church, he goes to synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he is about to read from the scriptures, and he's about to make some shocking statements. He reads from our Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, and he turns to chapter 61. And it's a very important passage because God, through Isaiah, was telling the people to look for the coming Messiah, the person who is going to usher in the favor of God by bringing salvation, by bringing healing, and by bringing hope. And Jesus begins to read this powerful passage, and then he sits down and he basically says, in short, I am the man, I am the Messiah who was to come, and I am now here. Jesus is declaring the goodness of God is now available for all of us. And there's a thing, if there is one thing that this culture needs more than anything else, it needs to taste and see the goodness and the favor of God in their life. They need to experience this for themselves. Because there's one thing that you need and that I need this morning is we need to see, we need to taste, and we need to experience the favor of God. If there's one thing that your family needs and your friends need is to taste and see the favor of God on their life. Because once you've seen God's goodness and you've experienced his favor, there is no going back. You would never go back. Why? Because you've experienced something that's life-changing. What Christ is doing in this passage is he's giving us a job description. A lot of you received a job description when you were applying for the current position that you had. And it had all the things that you had to do in order to be successful in that job. It was all the requirements that you needed to fulfill. And if you fulfill those requirements, you were going to do a good job and there was going to be benefits that came with it. And if you failed to meet that job description, you were going to be released so they could find someone to do that. And Jesus is giving us the job description of the Messiah. These are the things that he was to do to deliver the favor of God to us. And from the scripture, he gives us five of those descriptions. These are the five things that he wants to do in your life and in my life. These are the five things he wants to do in the people in Delaware County. These are the five things he wants to do in your workplace and in your family. And if you hold on to these five things, you will encounter the favor of God. Now, this morning, we're going to walk through these five job descriptions, and we're going to see what he wants to do in your life. And if you're missing in on any of these, then you need to know this morning that at this altar, you can find a God who wants to shine his favor upon your life. The first thing you see Jesus said is this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, if you look in the previous passage, in the previous chapter, you'll see that God sent the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. The Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and God said from heaven, this is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, I've never ceased to be amazed at how the Lord sent the Holy Spirit upon Jesus Christ with a purpose, 
The word anointing means a smearing, a marking. Jesus was smeared or marked with the Holy Spirit. And the key word inside of this sentence is because. There was a because in that smearing, in that anointing. He had a purpose. God placed his spirit upon Jesus because he came to save and to rescue us. Jesus lived with purpose, and that purpose was to bring the favor of God and the goodness of God to us. And the first way that he did that was proclaiming good news to the poor. Now, one thing that you'll notice from this passage is, is that Jesus's purpose was ultimately through proclaiming. The word proclaiming comes three times. Before every clause starts, he says, proclaim. I'm here to speak. I'm here to proclaim. And he is going to proclaim good news. And we need to understand that because the primary work of Jesus, believe it or not, was not miracles, but it was preaching. It was proclaiming. It was speaking out. God spoke the world into existence. God commanded Adam and Eve through the word and the enemy sabotaged humanity ultimately by speaking to them. And so we have to understand that words are powerful. Words mean something, especially the words of God and especially the words that Jesus came to proclaim. We can never forget that the power of God lies within his word and within his word, God is proclaiming and ushering his goodness and his favor into our life. And so when you read this word and you apply this word to your life, you are receiving and experiencing and living under the favor of God. Now, what does the word proclaim? This passage tells us that the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It seems like we're in a world where nothing is getting proclaimed but bad news. Lots of bad news. Bad news here, bad news there. Uh, I, like, I don't like watching a lot of TV. Instead, I watch a lot of YouTube. And there's guys that I watch, and a lot of them live in Oregon. And it's amazing right now, their videos, and they're just common guys doing things and, and you, every video is uh, the sky is orange and it's filled with smoke because it's just burning up over there. Bad news. Lots of bad news. Everywhere is bad news. And the truth is that there is a lot of bad news. We are sinners. We have depraved hearts. We're lost. We're broken without Jesus. We deserve the wrath and the punishment of God for our sins because a loving, righteous, and just God cannot allow sin and evil to go unpunished. And our sins have left us poor and destitute. Without Jesus in our life, we are poor and destitute. Think of all the people that live in poor positions in life. Think about where their lives are. The, the, the marriages are falling apart. They're suffering under addiction. There's no hope. There's no peace. It's, it's bad. The bad news is worse because good things cost money. When you're poor and you're experiencing nothing but poor things, and you have bad things, you don't have the resources to pull yourself out of that poor condition. And that's exactly where we found ourselves. There's an expression that seems so true so often. You get what you pay for. And when we're poor spiritually, there's nothing we can do to buy our way out of this situation. You get what you pay for. There's a massive difference between the Scooter O cereal in the bag and the Cheerios in the box. Right? How many of you have ever been there, right? We bought the Scooteros. That's us. Yeah, we've been there. All right? There's certain things in life you've got to spring a little extra money for. But when you don't have anything, how do you spring for something extra? There's a massive difference between going to smoke on Cherry Street in Tulsa and eating at McDonald's. 
There's a massive difference between Charity Chevy Cruze that has a lot of hell damage and a Bentley. It got held on a while back, and her husband's cheap, so he said, ah, he'll be fine. <laughs> Good things cost money. And when you're poor, you don't have access to that. And spiritually, we need to see the principle. Spiritually, we're in a poor, sinful condition, and we have no way of purchasing our salvation. We can't do enough good to overcome the bad, and we're destitute, and we're not making it to heaven. But in the economy of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the salvation of our souls, is that Jesus came to pay for our debts. He came to pay for our spiritual depravity. He came to pay for our deficit so that we wouldn't be poor anymore, but that we would be rich in Him. He came to cure our sick and dying hearts to make us alive in Him. We went from being spiritually destitute to having a spiritual abundance. We went from the worst of the worst to the best of the best, and now we're free to live and worship to Jesus. When we give our life to Jesus in faith and repentance, it's like a homeless beggar being pulled off the streets, cleaning them up, putting them in a limo, and driving them to the finest restaurant times a thousand. Notice the emphasis here is in proclaiming the gospel message. We see that this is fulfilled through Jesus' preaching. It's important to understand that the only way we're going to be free from our sinful past is by hearing the good news of Jesus. And that's important for us because if we want to see change in our family or we want to see true change in our workplace or we want to see true change in our community, the only way that change is going to happen is by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus did. Of all the things that Jesus could have came and done, the thing that he made the priority was proclaiming the good news. Is being compassionate towards people important? Absolutely. Is helping people important? Absolutely. Is praying for people? Absolutely. All those things reinforce that that Jesus is alive. All those things are tangible ways to prove that he is God. But the primary thing Jesus came to do was tell people that they could be saved from their sins. How do we know this? Watch and read about Jesus's miracles. How many times did they bring somebody to Jesus who needed healed? And he said, your sins are forgiven. He said that to them a lot. Why? Because in the big scheme of things, it was more important for them to make it to heaven than to walk. And then they'd be like, but who are you to forgive sins? And he'd say, get up and walk. And they're like, oh, okay, well, if you can do that, then Jesus proclaims good news. Listen, people need to hear the good news. When you tell them about Jesus and then you pray for them and they see a difference, now we're, okay, I'm buying into this. When you tell people the good news and then you, you know that they're in hard times and you help them in a monetary way, it's reinforcing what you're telling them. You're like, look, hey, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you, and I know you're in a bad spot, and I can't fix that for you. But I feel like God told me to give you 100 bucks. Here you go. How many of you, like, that would speak to you? Probably if we were around the room, a lot of you have been on the receiving end of something like that. We have to proclaim the good news. It doesn't do you any good if you feed somebody and they still don't know Jesus. we got to do both. You have to have the good news in your life. If you're here today and you, don't experience, you haven't experienced the good news or you're watching with it and you haven't, today is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. We have to take the good news to everyone we come in contact with. We cannot walk past spiritual beggars when we're spiritual millionaires and not give them something. So the first thing that Jesus said in his job description was to preach the good news to the poor. 
Now, we got four things to go, and some of you are nervous because you want to eat lunch, and you say, you've been talking for 20 minutes on one. This is going to be like a two-hour message. I understand. We're going to move quickly because I'm getting hungry too, and I can shut it down anytime I want, you know? I mean, <laughs> Jesus then said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. <laughs> kind of ironic. Have you ever been in a church service that felt like a hostage situation? <laughs> God was preaching so long, you're like, man, this is endurance contest. Is we just waiting for somebody to get up and start leaving? I mean, been there, right? You're like, just be quiet. I sat through a church service like that one time. I'm not kidding. That guy talked for two hours, and I don't think he said five words. I mean, it was like, like, does he want money or what? I mean, I'll pay him off at this point to be quiet. We, we don't like being constricted, and we, don't be, we do not like being captives. We don't like being, being held up, and we don't like being held hostage. There's not one human being on the planet that likes being bound up and chained up as a captive. Yet there are so many people who are in bondage in our culture. All you have to do is start looking around at people, and you can see that they're bound up, they're restricted, they're, they're, they're captives to the work of the enemy inside of their life. And the facts are, you and I have been there at one point in our own life. Look at the culture and look at everything that's binding people. The pornography industry is a $12 billion a year industry. Alcohol sells $253 billion in industry. Gambling is a $240 billion industry. Uh, there's estimated $100 billion in drug sales a year. You're like, oh, great, pastor, tell me I can't have a beer and a smoke. No, that's not what I'm talking about. My point is that so many people are in bondage. We're spending $250 billion on something. That means we're really invested in it. And what are those things returning into our life? Nothing. When you're chained up and you're in bondage, something's stealing from you, and it's never returning anything back into your life. There's a lot of talk in our culture right now, and rightfully so, about racism in the past. And when you look at history, you know what made slavery so terrible is that people were bound up against their will, and there was never a payback into their life. That's why when we look at these things, we say that's atrocious. That's why when we look right now, there's another thing where there's a lot of children being stolen and kidnapped into sex trafficking in our world today. Why is that so atrocious? Because they're being stolen. Their innocence is being robbed from them. They're being made a victim. They're getting kidnapped out of their homes. They're losing their childhood. Oh, why? So someone can gratify their sinful lust against the most innocent among us. We're robbing from those kids, and we're never going to pay anything back to them. They're held captive, and it's disgusting, and it's evil. And that's what every single person caught up in sin is like. We're being robbed from, we're captive, and there's nothing we can do about it. But Jesus said he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. The word of God sets us free because the word of God heals your heart. So many people are captivated by bitterness and hurts. There's this void in their life. Sin is stealing from them, and so they just want to try to get something back. But Jesus comes in and starts to heal the brokenness. See, it's not about the substance. It's about the heart. And that's what is so different. That's why the word matters. Because the word gets to the heart. $20 might get to the pocket, but the word gets to the heart. And what people need is they need a heart healed. People in captive need freedom. I hope our church has a reputation as a place where people can come find freedom. You find freedom when the Holy Spirit starts to pump that word deep into your heart and starts to fix you from the inside out. So Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
And then he goes on to say, and recovery of sight to the blind. Our sense of vision is one of the strongest senses that we have. Now, Knox right now loves watching AFV. He loves watching America's Funniest Home Videos. Any of you ever like to watch that? He will, I mean, this morning before we came to church, he had it on again, just laughing. He just laughs and laughs and laughs. He loves watching America's Funniest Home Videos. Now, in every single episode, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Somebody's going to try to get on a bicycle that should not be riding a bicycle, and they're going to fall down face first. And there's you know, going to be a dog that does something funny, and then there's going to be some food that flies up in the air. But inevitably, in every single episode, there's also going to be a pinata. And some, at some point in human history, we had the bright idea to say, let's take someone, blindfold them, spin them around about 40 times, give them a bat, and tell them just to start swinging. That's not a recipe for disaster. And inevitably, some blind person is, with a bat is going to hit hit somebody else with the bat trying to hit this pinata. It's insane, but that's the exact same thing that happens to us spiritually. We're spiritually blind, we're spiritually dizzy, and we're just swinging at things in life, making a wreck along the way. How many of you have ever been there, right? We need to be able to see, and our culture is so blind to the lies of the enemy. One of the greatest lies that the enemy has got us to believe in today that has blinded us is believe your truth. There's this idea perpetuated that whatever you believe to be true is what it should be, and you should embrace, quote unquote, your truth. And as a society, we are falling into depravity because now morality is becoming subjective on whatever we want to do. And it has blinded us, and we have a warped sense of love, and we have a warped sense of justice. And that's why we see all the chaos unfolding that is in this world today. The reason why this is happening is because we are spiritually blind as a society. And the problem compounds itself over and over and over again. Because when you're more blind, the more blind you become, the less reference you have to where you are, and the more chaos is ensued. But Jesus cleans it up. Jesus Christ is the truth. And he reveals the truth to a blind world. Jesus is the light that bursts into the dark community and changes everything. He reveals the truth of morality. He reveals the truth of our identity. He reveals the truth of what real justice is and what love looks like. Our culture needs to experience Jesus. As believers, we have to stay grounded in the truth. We have to stay grounded in the truth. You know, I've said this before. It's really important to understand. This Bible is counterculture. And what that means is it's not a product of human culture. Meaning you're not going to find one people group on the planet that believes everything in here easily. This is going to offend every single one of us at some level somewhere. There are things in this word that I wish wasn't in there. Why? Because I'm a human and I'm not God. In fact, the fact that there are different parts of this that offend us show us that this is valid. Because if it was a product of human nature, we could find at least one person that is perfectly comfortable with every aspect of it. But I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. You can believe every word on here, but some of it took longer for you to buy into, right? Some of it was hard. Some of it, you read it and you're like, but God, why'd you put that in there? You could have left that out. That's hard to live by. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. And this word reveals the truth. In a world of never-ending supply of moral filth, we have to guard our hearts with the truth. 
Furthermore, we cannot allow the culture to hijack words and twist them around for us. You hear a lot of words in our culture today. Love, acceptance, justice, all those words. We could go on for the rest of the day. Here's the problem, though. The world has a warped sense of those words. We have to turn here to the word of God to see the pattern and the nature of God to understand what those words mean. And then we have to stand with the truth and proclaim the truth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oppression is different than captivity. Captivity is a physical state. Oppression is a emotional state. This is the most oppressed generation in human history. We are an emotional wreck. Super fascinating. I read this one time that if you go back, they think, to the beginning of the the, uh, 20th century, so right around 1900, that if you would have asked them if they were bored, they wouldn't have even understood the concept. In fact, there's many indigenous people today that are literally just working, trying to make the next meal, that if you go talk to them and say, have you ever been bored? They, you wouldn't even be able to begin to explain to them the concept of boredom. Why? Because they're too busy trying to live. But our, our society that is so wealthy, if you will, has been so blessed, is starting to crush us down emotionally. Between depression, anxiety, and fear, I don't think there's any more turmoil at any point in my lifetime. Why is there so much depression, anxiety, and fear? Ultimately, it's because we don't know what comes next. Our society is an emotional wreck. And there, well, I think it's important to differentiate medical conditions from non-medical conditions. There are people who, there's a medical condition that has caused things in their life that they're wrestling with with anxiety or fear or, or depression, and, and God in his wisdom has blessed doctors to help people with that. But then there's a whole other aspect to this, I think, that's really important for us to talk about. That there's just people who just have a lot of fear in their heart that's causing these things to arise. And we need to get rid of that in our own life. Humanity doesn't roll with the punches anymore. That's why I don't like roller coasters. We, we don't know where the drop is coming. I personally don't get on roller coasters because I don't trust a metal contraption built by, by the lowest bidder, ran by a teenager getting paid $8 an hour. You know, he didn't grease them tracks that morning. He's like, that's fine. This thing's missing a bolt. Oh, there's a girl. You know what I mean? I, that's where his mind is. I'm not getting on the roller coaster. That roller coaster causes fear because I don't trust it not to kill me. And I don't know the outcome. And a lot of people are looking at life that way. It's chaotic. The track hasn't been greased in a while. And they just don't trust that it's going to come out all right. And it's creating a lot of fear and anxiety. But there's liberty to the oppressed in Christ because in Christ, uncertainty vanishes. The gospel brings liberty because we know that the end is written. 
The work was done 2,000 years ago at the cross to secure our salvation, and the outcome eliminates depression, fear, and anxiety. If we're struggling with these things and we're struggling with fear, what we have to do is we have to look at Jesus when he said, it is finished. We have to know that even though we don't see the way, like we were singing about earlier, we trust the way maker to make the way for us, and we trust him to be our source and our provision and bring the outcome. And when we get to that point, we have liberty and we're no longer oppressed. I want to close with this if the worship team would come back. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That last line is so powerful because it's reminiscent of the year of Jubilee. You see, in the Old Testament, God had, in his law, had ordained that every 50th year was to be the year of Jubilee. And it was a year when all your debts were canceled and your land was returned to your family. So imagine this. January 1st, 2021, you get a letter in the mail from the IRS and says, you don't owe any taxes this year. Then you open up the next letter and it's from your bank and says, your mortgage is canceled. Don't send us any more money. Come on. Then you get, yeah. Then you open up a third letter and it says, guess what? You had a rich uncle that owned 100,000 acres, you know, in the middle of this national forest. And we accidentally took it from you, and now we're giving it back to you. That's a good day, isn't it? That's some that's favor. Sorry, Mimi, that's a lot better than Mimi's cookies, right? I'm like, no taxes, I don't have to pay out my house anymore, and I have all this land. That that was the year of Jubilee. That happened every 50th year. You're like, well, how'd that work? The entire economy was based around when the next year of Jubilee was coming. How many of you know you count down to that year? You'd be looking forward to that year. God instituted this year of Jubilee to show us what it was going to be like for our spiritual debts to be canceled and our sins to vanish from the account and have everything that was stolen from us returned. There was spiritual significance in this. The spiritual state of living in favor and the goodness of God is everything that we just talked about. And now we have access to it. Delaware County needs to experience the favor of God. That's why we're still pushing in the middle of a pandemic. Remember, Jesus's job description was read from Isaiah 61. What's really interesting, you can go read it, is that in Isaiah 61, Jesus actually stopped short from finishing the last sentence. Because if you go read it in context, Isaiah goes on to say that there is judgment and vengeance coming from the Lord. But Jesus didn't read that. Why did he stop? Why did he stop early? Because the vengeance of the Lord is coming at the end, but it's later. Right now, we're living in the year of Jubilee. We're living in the year of the Lord's favor. And you might be thinking, but the world's on fire. How in the world is there favor from God? It's because you have access to the good news. It's a complete rewrite of how you're looking at life. 
You might be thinking, man, life's not going good. But when you look and you see that you have access to the good news, you know the end is written. Jesus is there with you. He's going to be your provider. You have liberty from being captivated. You're, you're set free. You have all these things. You know that you have favor. Now, Jesus then went and he sat down and he looked at him and he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 21 is so important because it shows us that Jesus fulfilled the job description 2,000 years ago. Today was a long time ago. And what that means for us is that the work is done. We're no longer poor. We're no longer blind. We're no longer captives. We're no longer oppressed beggars. We are children of God who are rich, who are free as sons and daughters. Church, this is what we need for our lives. And this is what our community needs. You'll notice that Jesus is always reaching down and trying to find the down, the out, and the marginalized. And our challenge is to mimic what Jesus was talking about in this message. We have to find the poor beggar and tell him where the bread is at. We have to find the lepers and tell them where there's cleansing. We have to find the prisoner and tell them where the keys are at. The sad thing is this, is that so many people are drawn to the, to the flash. Sometimes even as church people. As long as it's flashy, we're good. But we need to be looking for people who are broken and selling their bodies and people who are using. We need to tell them, hey, you don't have to be this way anymore. There is hope. There is freedom. Now, the problem is if you read past 21, the people rejected Jesus. They get mad at him for what he said, and they tried to kill him, actually. Why would they do that? Because they didn't realize who they were looking at. Let us never miss who we are looking at.